Church. Reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word, uh, this is what Jesus taught on that occasion. Verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what did deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Thus far we read in God's holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey. Amen. Over a hundred years ago, there was a handbook published uh, called Scouting for Boys. It was a handbook, 1908, published by Sir Baden-Powell, an Englishman who often dressed up like a soldier, but it was a different kind of outdoors outfit. And he founded in England the Boy Scouts. And uh, two years later, in uh, 1910, the Boy Scouts of America was founded. In that handbook, Sir Baden-Powell had a motto for the Boy Scouts, a very simple motto. And I'm wondering, do we have any Boy Scouts here? And if you raise your hand, you know I'm going to ask, what is the motto of the Boy Scouts? Be prepared. They all get a pass on that. That's excellent. Excellent. Be prepared. And the question is raised, uh, whether it's to the founders or Baden-Powell, uh, and it was raised, be prepared for what? That's a good question. And his answer was, be prepared for anything. 
He wrote that to be prepared meant you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. And if we didn't uh, know how important that motto was to the Boy Scouts of America, at least in the past, you only have to look at their top award, the Eagle Scout Medal. It only has two words on it. In the design on the banner at the center of that medal, it says, be prepared. Even at the pinnacle of scouting, it is still the motto. I think it would be an excellent motto for Christians. In fact, that seems to be what Jesus is emphasizing. He's on his way to Jerusalem from the regions of Galilee. He's turned and set his face to Jerusalem. And we're only in the middle of the gospel, but he's already preaching to gather crowds to himself and to speak to his disciples about the kingdom. And one of the themes he brings up here today about the kingdom is be ready for the return of the king. You don't know what time it's going to be. So you need to be ready all the time, always ready, always prepared. And here as Jesus teaches that, he gives a couple of mini parables, if you will, to illustrate both the fact that you don't know when it's coming and you had better be prepared or else. Some very strong words. And they're all summarized at the end of the passage. Uh, uh, Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. You are being told these things, Jesus said. And today, November 5th, 2023, in this room or wherever this word is going, Jesus is telling hearers the same facts. He's coming again and you need to be prepared. And now you've been given much, much of great importance. What will you do? I want to organize our thoughts as we look at this passage under a couple of headings, being ready for the Lord's return and then being not ready. And we'll be gathering uh, from all the many parables to make those two points, ready and then not ready. And because of its importance, we'll spend the final point on getting ready. So we can make sure we're getting ready. Let's look at the the first examples of of readiness. And Jesus starts right in with some commands and very explicit uh, things that disciples need to pay attention to. Right in verse 35, he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Did he mean that literally? Christians could never change out of your work clothes into pajamas? Christians could never put out the light and sleep through the night. He doesn't mean it literally. These are metaphors representing readiness, preparedness, uh, the mental attitude and attention to this great theme. You might know uh, the Greek here uh, is translated, get your loins girded up. Let your loins stay girded. And, And the King James continue that language so it's familiar even now people know it's a reference to uh, uh, to being ready but do you know what the word picture means in the ancient world where people were more often than not wore long robes as outer garments it's hard to function it would be hard to move to work to run to be ready for any kind of activity if the the robes are entangling your legs 
So there was a girding up where you'd grab part of the long robe from the back and the front and you'd draw it up tight between your legs and then tuck it into your belt. And you're ready for action. That's what Jesus is saying to believers. Keep your life, your normal life, from encumbering you spiritually and keeping you from spiritual readiness. Keeping the lamp burning and and church fathers throughout history have interpreted one is the physical preparation, one is the mental preparation. We don't need to do that. We don't need to allegorize each and every element of what Jesus is teaching. But we do see that that would be appropriate, especially in the ancient world. I'm ready myself and I'm ready in my environment. The lamp is on. Because Jesus, the master, is coming. Do you hear the sense of urgency in the words of Jesus here? He hadn't even left yet. He hadn't been crucified yet. He's already speaking soberly to his disciples about a master returning. He'd been talking about the kingdom of God. If you look back over even just chapter 12, it's been several weeks, but he spoke of the kingdom. He spoke of being careful who you fear. There's some who can kill the body, but there's one who can kill the body and soul. He's been speaking of spiritual realities that are real and present and our attitudes and what they should be as disciples. There is an urgency to this. This is not just, oh, here's a footnote because someday way in the future I'm going to come back. No, he's speaking to Christians in the present. Be prepared. And then there's another dimension of this. Be expectant. You can be prepared in and of yourself, but prepared for what? That's the expectancy. What is coming? What do you see? What are you looking for? I remember as a child back in Wisconsin, sitting at the window, watching for my grandparents to arrive for Thanksgiving or something. They drove an old AMC Ambassador. That's a very old car. Many don't even remember that. Manufactured in Wisconsin, a green ambassador, very unique. And as a child, I could tell which car was which. And when that car came down the street, I was ready and I would jump up. I was expecting some particular arrival. Christians, are we ready for our master's return? See how Jesus expands and and gives these words in verse 36. He says, and be like. He's not just talking about being Boy Scouts and ready for anything in life. No, be like, he gets specific, men who are waiting for their master to come home. And in this case, he speculates, come home from a wedding feast, which could be several days of festivities. He might come home at the end of the day or in the early hours of the morning. You don't know exactly. But he's away and he's coming back. Be like men who have a master who are waiting for the master to return. And as Christians, we understand he's teaching that we would be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ into the world. You are in the service of Jesus and you should be living in readiness for his return. There are a lot of things Christians need to do every day. But this passage tells us we need to have this mindset of readiness. When Jesus ascended into heaven, do you remember what the two angels said? 
You remember, he rose from the dead, and then he spent 40 days with his disciples, showing the scars, meeting in the upper room, speaking on one occasion to 500 people at a time. But at the end of that resurrection days of visiting, those 40 days were done, Jesus, outside of Jerusalem, ascended into heaven, the ascension. And as everybody's staring into heaven, two angels appeared. This is what they said from Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. So get busy and be ready. Don't just stand here gazing into heaven. Interestingly, even as they call for an expectancy, they don't mean stand around gazing into heaven. And Christians should get that point. But of course, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if he's just some historical figure or moral teacher, and, and you're not really concerned about his second coming, that seems uh, almost kind of uh, supernatural, mythical type talk. If that's not your note, you're not going to be looking for him. But if you are a Christian, if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember his promise, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you have this expectancy. The master will be coming. Later on in this passage, I said we're going to include both the little parables down in verse 42. After Peter had raised a question, we'll get to that. But verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. The master's coming, so be found faithful. And this readiness ends, the last point here is reward. There is reward for readiness. And the Bible, listen, the Bible doesn't shy away from saying, when you do right, God blesses that. When you do what's right, God will reward you. It's not always in earthly rewards, but it could be heavenly rewards. But it's God's favor, and it's a reward. Notice in verses 37 and 38, there's a, a, a tremendous reward offered when, uh, if the master should come and they open up, verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Well done, they were awake. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, he, the master, will dress himself for service. Think of a waitress or a waiter. The master will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Did we hear that properly? Jesus isn't just going to say, well done, you guys were awake. The, the implication is that we will be so blessed that the master will do something for us. As Del Ralph Davis says, this kind of reward picture, it upsets the whole proper order in the ancient world. Masters don't wait on the servants. And here it's often bond servants, slaves. It, it, you just don't reverse that. You can say, good job, take the day off, but to switch roles? 
What kind of a master is this? He also says it's outlandish. It doesn't fit with our understanding. There's a shock value here. And it's very much intentional on Jesus' part. Why would Jesus give us such a grand picture of reward for our readiness? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the same Lord who sent his only begotten son into the world to die for you loves you so that he will welcome you and rejoice over you with singing and with serving when he brings you into his presence. He has gone to prepare a place for you. That's a form of serving, of reward and blessing. What kind of God does this for his servants? Not the gods of the religions of the world, You don't find the Muslims speaking this way about Allah. But the God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, with his amazing grace, will so bless his people. It tells us this readiness for the return of Christ is a big deal. It's a very big deal to be ready, consistently expectant. When that day comes, because the reward is so amazing. Or the reward down in verse 44. Remember, there's another parallel section down in the next paragraph. Verse 44. Truly, I say to you, he, the master, will set him, the faithful steward, over all his possessions. Again, great reward awaits those who are faithful to their profession of belief in the Lord and obeying him. It's a great reward. But that's not all Jesus says here. Jesus goes on to make sure we know that the opposite is is a big reality as well. People will not be ready and it will not be pretty. And so we need to take a brief look at this. Uh, Many who are not ready will be caught, ashamed, and cast out. There's some harsh language here, but this is again what Jesus is teaching. Look at verses 39 and 40. As he wraps up this first uh, uh, mini parable uh, about showing up at the door, he introduces another element. He says in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what, at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You won't be broken into if you're expecting a thief. You can see him and stop him. So those who aren't ready, who aren't expectant, will get broken into. It's just a small addition to the picture. You can think of the master or the head servant trying to explain himself. Well, if, if I knew the thief was coming, it wouldn't have happened. If I knew when he was showing up, I, I wouldn't have gone away. I I would have stayed up. You can just hear the excuses. What is Jesus' point? Jesus' point here to his disciples, to you, is that you've been told Jesus is coming. In fact, earlier in our service, as we finished reading through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, did you hear Paul's language about a thief in the night? 
and the return of Christ. One of the very first letters Paul ever wrote. Christians have been told Christ is coming again. You don't know when. It will be sudden and unexpected. So knowing that, take all the appropriate measures to trust him and to watch for him. To have a readiness and an expectancy. Do not be unexpected. Unexpecting. I'm not sure how we word that, but don't be that. In verse 40, as Jesus uh, talks about this thief, he says, you, must, you also must be ready, comma. And he's not talking about a thief now. Look at the language he uses as he takes the unexpected thief experience and uses some Old Testament language. For, verse 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay, so he's switching from thief to son of man, and my Bible rightly capitalizes S and M because it's a proper noun, and it comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Jesus dips into an apocalyptic segment of the Old Testament for this title for himself. It's one of his favorite titles for himself. Did you realize that? Even as he goes about and seems like one of us, although sinless and wise, Jesus often describes himself with this title that should be blinding in our eyes from Daniel, Son of Man. Here's the the context from Daniel chapter 7. I'll tell you, you're welcome to look, Daniel 7. Uh, The chapter uh, begins speaking about the future, and it talks about the ancient of days. That's God the Father. So you know this is the throne room of heaven in this vision. And when you get to Daniel 7, verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Verse 14. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a big title. This isn't just a robbery and you lose your stereo or your big screen TV. This is the king of kings appearing and calling for all to serve him. And you want to be unprepared for that? Jesus has gone the extra mile time and time again to prepare us, to tell us he's coming. He further describes these uh, folks that are unexpected later on here in verse 45, after Peter's question. Um, Verse 45, he talks about if the servant, the one who'd been entrusted with different tasks, if that servant says to himself, hmm, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. That's not good. It says the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. 
this servant is not only not watching, but he becomes abusive and he shows his selfishness. It's all bad stuff. And right in the root of it is he doesn't believe as he should. He thinks in a way contrary to what he's been told. The master's coming back. It could be soon. Eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And so he bases his behavior on that. He doesn't behave as he should. He doesn't think as he should. He doesn't behave as he should. That's the negative model for us. In his behavior, he's abusive to others. He gorges himself in the food and drink of his master. The faithful one waits, and when the master comes back, then we'll party. This guy's got it all backwards because of his sinful selfishness and his disbelief. Isn't this a picture of many in the culture around us? Even those that we might call nominal Christians? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. There's no fear of God in the eyes of so many. Their faith is only on their lips. It's not in their hearts and minds. Their lives haven't conformed to a master who's coming back. That's what it means to be a nominal Christian. You're a Christian in name only. There's no reality there. There's no new birth there. And so many people around us, perhaps in this room, don't take Jesus seriously. He's talking to his disciples here. I've been alluding to Peter's question, but I haven't mentioned it yet. Let's look at it now before we go anywhere. Verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? What is Peter asking? He says, okay, you're talking about being ready as servants for the master. Lord, are you just talking about the 12? Your apostles? Or is this for everybody, all the Christians here? I think that's a legitimate question. Maybe Peter's squirming. Peter wants to make sure he does his part, but what about these other guys? What's the answer that Jesus gives? Is Jesus speaking primarily to the apostles, the leaders of his people, or is he speaking to everyone? Commentators over the centuries have said uh, either, either answer. I side with those who see particularly the apostles are in view. Those who are called to serve other Christians. Those who are called to teach and preach. The Lord's preparing them in particular. And we say that because this servant in the example is responsible for feeding the other servants and supervising the other servants. But there are implications there for not only for elders, but for Sunday school teachers or Bible study leaders or mature women or mature men who teach other Christians what they know. If you are one who gives to other believers, we have to be oh so careful with our stewardship and our readiness because we influence other Christians. So this picture of this abusive servant, that fits a lot of nominal Christians, but you know who else it fits? It fits those wicked 
men and women who are involved in clergy sexual abuse, abuse of their office. It's out there. And some who profess to serve the Lord Jesus Christ have as much as said, he's never going to know what I do with those children in the back room or with somebody in the choir or with other aspects of my power. I'm going to serve myself. That's how it happens. So yes, Jesus does add a particular spotlight for those who've been given much. These disciples, these apostles, even today in God's people, those who have been given much. Many in this room have been given a platform for Christ. Take extra heed how we serve. Live in fear and awe of God. And do not give yourself to abusing your privileges. The punishment is heavy, by the way, as verse 46 points out. Uh, There's this expression that uh, makes us a bit queasy, perhaps. Um, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces. Oh, boy. And then secondly, put him with the unfaithful. Uh, This figure of speech about cutting, it's only used twice in the New Testament here, I think elsewhere in Matthew, to inflict a punishment of extreme severity. Maybe it's, there's a parallel to our, our, our idiom, cut someone down to size. I will take this pompous you know who and cut him down to size when authority is exercised over sin. It sounds serious, but I think the the second phrase is worse. If you don't think the second phrase is worse, you're not thinking spiritually. What does Jesus say that the master is going to do with this servant? Not just cut him down to size, but to put him with the unfaithful. You're out. Get out. With those who don't belong, those who don't have a place in the kingdom. Outside the kingdom. Seems to be what Jesus is saying. You will be with the unfaithful. Now the the passage that we won't take time on near the end of our text talks about a servant who knows better is going to get a, and doesn't prepare, gets a severe beating. That's this bad case scenario. But then it has another phrase, the one uh, who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. You can think of those around the world who never heard the gospel, never heard of the Lord, only have their conscience and nature's evidence. They're still in trouble without a savior. It's those who know more who will face the greater scrutiny. That's what Jesus is striving to point out. There will be consequences, a casting out. My friends, just as the reward, remember the beautiful reward, the the master serving the servants, that's just almost unthinkable in its glorious delight. This is dreadful justice at the other end of the spectrum. It sounds awful. 
Because, listen, listen, to not be ready for the Lord's return isn't simply like missing a plane or a train. To not be ready for the Lord's return is to be sent to a whole different destination. It's sobering stuff. So let's end and answer this question. How do we get ready for the Lord's return? That is what we need to know. That's what I really want to talk about. Because there's some good news here. Uh, Anyone can become right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get ready? Well, here's four things. First, number one, come to Christ as Savior. Get enlisted into the kingdom. Find out about the new birth and pray that the Lord brings you into his family by the new birth. Be converted. Profess faith in Christ. All these word pictures are this first point. Repent and believe the good news. We don't have far to go to see an example of this. We're in Luke 12. Let's just look up to verse 8 and verse 9. Because Jesus has been talking this way as he has gathered people to himself. Luke 12, verses 8 and 9. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, there's that title, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Luke 12, 8 and 9 tell us a couple of things. You need to profess Christ and you need to do it now. Before men means now, in this life, and the consequences will be evident in the life to come. That's important. You can't wait for Christ to return and say, oh yeah, you really are the son of man. You're the king of kings. Okay, I'm in. No, too late. Now is the day of salvation. If the gospel draws near and there's any doubt, you just say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. Give me that new birth and put your spirit within me. May I belong to you and serve you. Come to Christ as Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 11 make it very clear as well. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. It doesn't say clean up your act, be a good follower. That's not how you get saved. You come to Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of the grace of God alone. That's what we're talking about. Come to Christ, become his disciple. Sign up, uh, willing to be a private in the Lord's army. Serve and know him so that when he comes, you have that relationship. That's the first thing to getting ready is to have a right relationship. Come to faith in Christ. Number two, how do you prepare? How can you be ready for Christ's return? I would say this. Um, you should know the word. You should be a reader of the Bible. You should uh, find out what it says. I would say in two specific ways. Find out what the Bible says in terms of promises to those who believe. I would love to stand at the door at the back and ask everybody as they leave, do you have a promise of God that you know and believe? Because you know what? God's written a book and there's all sorts of promises here. Uh, If you're looking for one, just maybe start in, in Romans 8. 
I could give you four or five from Romans 8. That'd be great. Romans 8, verse 1. I don't know if anybody has that as a promise. If you know the word, it will prepare you for Christ's return. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Knowing the word will prepare you for his return. When the trumpet sounds and Christ appears and CNN, you know, breaks into their coverage and say, we have the second coming of Jesus uh, now on camera one. It's time for the believer to claim this promise. There's no condemnation for me. He's coming in judgment. Uh, You know, I may be half awake, but he's going to find me and there's no condemnation for me because I'm trusting, I'm expecting, and I know the promises of the word. You could go to Romans 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's hope. Or Romans 8.28. I think many do know Romans 8.28. Here's a promise to prepare for the return of Christ until that day. Find strength in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things will work out. You could have Philippians 1.6. You could have a variety of verses. Know the word of God. It will help you prepare for that day. Let me also linger here. I gave you a heads up on the sermon outline sheet. You see there's a little bullet here hiding under point number two. This is how I sneak in extra points. Because with the whole daylight savings things, I get to preach for an extra hour, right? Now, you said only pastors enjoy that line. No, we'll be done shortly. But let me just suggest, especially since we're talking about the second coming of Christ, three things you need to know about the second coming of Christ. If you, if you don't know these things, you should know them. I'll give you a word and a verse for each of these three things. You may want to write them on the back of the note sheet. Number one, the return of the Lord will be personal and physical. Personal and physical. The same Jesus you saw leave will return. Acts 1.11, we've already read what the angel said. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus still has the body. He'll have the nail-pierced hands and side and feet, and he will appear. But it will be in glory. It will be personal and it will be physical. That's how he left. They could have shaken his hand as he left. It will be physical, the real Jesus. Not some uh, uh, metaphysical thing, a physical return. Number two, the return of the Lord will be visible and triumphant. We emphasize this because some people teach a secret showing up of Jesus that only a few know. Um, That's not what the Bible teaches. Revelation chapter one, verse seven says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Those are clouds of glory, not a weather phenomenon, clouds of glory. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Revelation one, verse seven, it will be visible and it will be triumphant. Nothing secret about that. There'll be trumpets blasting. The whole world will be aware that Jesus has come. And the whole world will be stopped in its tracks. Will you be ready? 
The word tells us that this will happen. And as we read earlier from Thessalonians, we read from chapter 5, chapter 4 also contains these words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. That's a pretty loud trumpet, by the way. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. There is a visibleness and a triumphantness to the return of Christ. And the third point is the point that Jesus has been making even here in these parables. The return of Christ is imminent. If you don't know how to spell imminent, just write down near, N-E-A-R. Imminent. Well, If it's soon, could it be today? Yes, it could be today. It could be tonight. It could be before Christmas. It could be before you see your grandchildren or before that other event that's on your calendar. We don't know what day, but we're told that it's near. It's pending. It's the next big thing in God's timeline. It's imminent. The second to the last verse of the Bible tells us that. Not the last verse, the second to the last. So it's Revelation 22, verse 20. St. John writes, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He said he's coming soon. It's his word. Yes, it's been 2,000 years. But it's closer now than ever before. I've wondered this. I've been a Christian 40-some years. I still believe that Christ will come in my lifetime. That's just a personal grasp. I think of it as I prepare sermons. Could be my last. Christ could take me or he could appear. And we'll get to hear him. The Christian has to live knowing what God's word teaches. Christ will return and it's coming soon. Well, back to my other list of preparations. The preparations are know the Lord, be a Christian. Number two, know the word of God, what it tells us. Number three, pray regularly for the kingdom. How can I be ready for Christ's return? What does it mean to keep my lamp burning and to uh, keep my loins gird up? Well, I think it refers, if anything, to your prayer life. Isn't that how we prepare? Isn't that how we take our cares and concerns and get them front and center? Is through prayer. And if you've never prayed... With the kingdom perspective, that's part of what you need to do to obey this scripture today. It was back in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus gave the Lord's prayer, uh, at least Luke's version of it, Luke chapter 11, verse 2. He said, and when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's how Christians pray. We pray to the king and we pray thy kingdom come. What do we mean by that? Well, we want the Lord Jesus Christ to come back soon. We want his kingdom to spread. We want there to be more Christians. And you know what else that means? It means make me a faithful part of your kingdom. Your kingdom come. That's what I want because I'm part of your kingdom and I want to be fruitful in it. 
So we prepare with our prayer life. Be a Christian, know the word of God, and pray for the kingdom. And finally, number four, how else do you prepare for the return of Christ? By serving others in Christ's name. By serving others in Christ's name. By doing good works. Oh, I could give you dozens of verses. Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus. We're made Christians unto good works. The The epistle of James says, faith without works is dead. So if you really have faith, if you're a Christian, you believe the Lord's coming back, you will have good works. You'll be busy not just saving for your retirement, you'll be investing in heaven and doing spiritually good works and other good works to your neighbors because those are things that will last. There's another part of the Bible that has some of these hard, if not scary things about the return of Christ. Matthew chapter 25, I'll just point you to it. And maybe that's what you want to read to follow up. The, the Olivet Discourse, when the Son of Man comes, Jesus gives other parables. He talks about the final judgment. And at the second coming, the final judgment, Jesus will separate people, the sheep from the goats. Here's just a portion of Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you sick? Or when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, those that are entering into heaven. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Part of being ready for the day of judgment is to do unto others for the sake of Christ, to serve others in Christ's name. Because at the day of judgment, Jesus will notice. It's one of the things he's looking for. Faith without works is dead. We know it, he knows it. So if he looks at you and says, you've professed to believe me, I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. Maybe you're one of those nominal Christians. You have your own place. But the real Christian who has fruit, even just 30, 60, or 100-fold, you have just a little bit of fruit. There's got to be fruit. It just shows the reality of your faith in Christ. Christ is the one who saves. And the faith and the work he does in us brings about the fruit. So that's the final way I I can think of to prepare uh, to serve others, to serve others. Um, All those portions will be helpful because Christ is coming back. And in closing, just one word in closing. I've I've already squeezed in enough bullet points. So we we got a, a lot to think about. But the closing word is this, and I think everybody needs to pay attention. The second coming of Christ will be different from the first coming of Christ. We're about to get into Advent and we're going to celebrate that. We'll have some special sermons about Advent and Jesus came, born to save, and people are singing and praising. He came the first time to procure our salvation. The second coming is different. Say that to yourself. The second coming is different. And at the second coming, 
there'll be no time to get right with Christ when he appears. He won't be appearing just to gather you and to preach to you and invite you. No, he's coming in judgment. He's already come to offer salvation. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, he will return, but not to go to the cross. If you're in a right relationship with Christ now, you'll rejoice at his coming, at his appearing. You won't be ashamed. You'll be excited. That's second advent. But if you're not in a right relationship, if Christ is just some historical figure or moral teacher or who knows what, and you've done your own thing and not served him and you're not expecting him, there's trouble. Now is the time to be right with Christ. Not then. Acknowledge Christ before men. And he will acknowledge you before angels. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Luke. Lord, we, we may not have seen this passage a coming these sober words about the return of Christ and judgment, but they're words of hope and grace. You're giving us all this information now so that we can be ready. What a gracious God you are to point out the danger of being unready, of being caught off guard. May we be found ready. Oh, Father, I pray for those whose heart is racing with uncertainty, one who is yet to close with Christ or to pray from his heart for converting grace. Father, bring them into the kingdom. May this day be a day of rejoicing as they acknowledge you before men. Father, make us all ready for your appearing. Work with us, bless us, and by your grace, make us ready. May we be prepared. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.